It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Here we go, here we go. From the greatest country in the world, broadcasting as we always do, from the tippy top of the world-famous Fox News headquarters in New York City, it is a special Memorial Day edition of Fox Across America. I, Jimmy Fallon, the host of this very program, I am off. I am home on Long Island paying my respects and appreciation and gratitude to the men and women who put on the uniform and served this country and fought for our freedoms. But today, in their honor, we have put together a best-of episode that will feature some of the best people I know in this country, some of the proudest patriots, some of the brightest thinkers, some of the people who have made the most of the unique American privilege that our troops fight for every day to protect. It is Memorial Day. We are honoring them. It's an all-skate. Remember when you went to the roller rink back in the day? Did you do that? Would they have, like, a just the boys and then just the girls, just the couples, just the kids, just the, you know. And then eventually they'd have an all-skate, and everyone could just jump in. Everybody can skate it once again. That's this what this show is. It's an all-skate. Everybody is welcome. Uh, we can't do the individual classes. You know, and it used to be like, just the boys, just the girls. If you did that now, it'd go on for months. Just the theys, just the thems. Just the non-binary two-spirit furries. What the hell is the world coming to? I don't know, but we'll try to clean up this mess. The update in the battle between Disney and DeSantis, it's been pretty crazy. I covered this. I was guest hosting Gutfeld last week, and it was my opening monologue in that there's a big discussion over whether DeSantis has taken this too far, whether the government should be forcing corporations to do anything. But, of course, Disney is now also suing because they had their special tax privileges taken away. And this ongoing battle between one and the other has, of course, generated a lot of conversation about where you draw the line. Is DeSantis gone too far? But the bigger issue here, understand, is that this is all based on a straw man argument that DeSantis tried to ban gay people. You see, Disney got involved after DeSantis passed the Parental Rights and Education Act. And that act made it illegal to teach sex ed or sexual identity to kids between the ages of kindergarten and third grade. That's how this started. No sex at all. Not straight, not trans, not gay, no sex. Nobody between kindergarten and third grade should be talking about sex. Why? Because back in the day, we could all accept that anyone who wanted to talk to your kindergartner about sex shouldn't be near a kindergartner. But DeSantis, in passing that bill called the Parental Rights and Education Act, never said the word gay once. He didn't say no gay sex and no trans sex. He said no sex, none at all. But the minute the bill passed, they ran out on the left and said he just banned gay people. Democrats are so full of crap. At which point Disney and the board jumped in to say, we're standing up for the gay community. How dare Ron DeSantis criminalize gay behavior? Yo, hold on a second now. Florida has not banned gay people. And if you believe they have, you, my friend, have never been to Key West. I think he's got a point. Certainly haven't spent any time in South Beach. 
or the rest of the state as a whole because gay people are living and thriving joyously as they should be in the state of Florida. Never mind that Florida engaged in this corporate welfare against DeSantis or, excuse me, that Disney did, organizing, you know, walkouts and pride nights. These are strumming arguments because Florida hasn't banned gay people. So when you throw a pride night at Disney, you're not doing so in defiance of any type of resistance. You're doing so for the same reason you do everything else at Disney, which is to just shake down parents. All right, now get out there and make me some god money. That's, That's the point. Okay, that's what they're doing. That's all Disney. That's the Disney business model. Rip off parents. I'm still paying interest on a Buzz Lightyear toy I bought in 2009. Okay, if Disney really cared about inclusion, they wouldn't make the prices 130 bucks to get in. He knows what he's talking about. Seriously, if you want everyone from every walk of life, from every sexual identity, from every gender dysmorphia to be welcome in your park, you make the prices a lot more reasonable because I can promise you as a parent, the prices are keeping more people out than the pronouns are. But Disney waged this war against DeSantis over a straw man argument about banning gay people, never mind that Disney does businesses in at least 12 countries that criminalize gay activity. I'm talking Saudi Arabia punishable by chemical castration, Yemen punishable by death. Okay, Disney, in accusing DeSantis of being some type of homophobe, is squeezing every dollar it can out of every homophobic country in the world. So in standing his ground, okay, DeSantis has won the respect of a lot of people who see the fraud in Disney's ways. And now, as we're reading, is... According to a Reuters-Ipsos poll, 44% of Republicans said they have a more favorable view of the governor because of his fight with Disney. So, overall in the survey, okay, 73% of voters said they were less likely to back a candidate who sought to punish companies for their political and cultural views, but 44% said they were more likely to vote for, they were more like, they had a more favorable opinion of him because he took the fight with Disney. Okay, 64% of Republicans agree with DeSantis taking the special tax privileges away from Disney. Okay. And so as a whole, this issue is still something that resonates well with voters, connects well with voters, because they're tired of corporations forcing their woke views on their consumers. Everything woke turns to A lot of people feel that way. So in that regard, DeSantis is on pretty solid footing politically. I mean, does that mean he's going to beat Donald Trump in 2024? Wrong. We'll see. A lot of people are still getting into the race. Vivek Ramaswamy is going to be here in this hour. Asa Hutchinson, governor of our, of uh, former governor of Arkansas, launched a campaign today. You've got Tim Scott, who has launched an exploratory committee. Uh, former U.N. ambassador and South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley already in the race. Okay, it's going to get crowded, and it's going to get crazy. The first GOP debate is going to be right here on Fox News. It's going to be a wild one. And that's not until August. The caucus voting doesn't start until January. We got a long way to go. Buckle up, kids. But the place where DeSantis has found solid footing here is not so much with Republicans, not so much with culture warriors, but with actual parents. Okay, understand parents don't want their kids being sexualized. Over 78% of parents across the aisle supported DeSantis in his parental rights and education bill. 
Because parents, at a time when our country is like, we're literally failing right now. One in three school kids is not reading at, at grade level in this country. I love the poorly educated. Well, there's plenty of them. Okay, but at a time when we can't read, we've got so much legislation being passed to integrate bathrooms. So much legislation being passed at a state level, you know, where you're seeing things like, well, you know, if the parents aren't okay with a gender transition, then we can give the kid the right to pursue the transition with help from his teacher. You know, we can go to a sanctuary state and get the procedures done where you don't tell your parents. Yo, don't tell your parents for as long as you and I have ever lived. Don't tell your parents was synonymous <laughs> with someone doing something to a child that shouldn't be done. Ah, uh, you have a good eye, my man. Don't tell your parents every single time meant the adult in this situation was on the wrong side of whatever the hell they were engaging in with the kid. That's true. That is true. So the idea that DeSantis is taking a stand against something that basic. Now, you could say he's going too far, fighting with Disney, stripping tax privileges. Now there's a lawsuit. When is it going to end? Last week we played you the clip where he joked about building a state prison next to Disney's parks. Okay, you could tell me it's too far. I don't know. I don't know where that line is going to be drawn. Personally, I don't want the government forcing anybody to do anything. But that ship sailed a long time ago. Government just forced you to get a vaccine, forced you to throw in a mask. Now it's trying to force you to buy an electric car. Now they want to take away your electric stove. It's the funny thing about Democrats is, you know, when it comes to abortion, they're like, keep the government out of our bedrooms. As they put the government in your garage, government's in your kitchen with, <laughs> with your stove. Government's everywhere. Okay. That's the scam of our time. But if you're a guy who stands up against don't tell your parents, I don't even consider that bold. I don't even consider that courageous. I consider it a sad commentary on where we are as a country that that would even be an outlier of a political position to take. I think every single person listening to this should not be okay with any teacher or state legislature that wants to submit a kid to a lifetime of surgeries and follow-up medications something that will permanently alter their bodies without actually getting the parents' consent. It's people with a dirty mind that think like that. Totally. And the idea that Ron DeSantis wants to stand up to them is something that will always get him points and something I will always support, regardless of what position he finds himself in next. You got some big testicles to pull this off, bro. Introducing the all-new Woke Disney World, the first theme park to dump identity politics on all its guests. Mom, can I hit the boys' room? Sorry, honey, it's the they's room. Let me explain this to you one more time. It's okay, Mickey. I'll handle it. All of our rides have been updated, so our Woke employees won't flip out on us. From Snow White and the Seven Genders... I don't understand. To it's a small reassignment surgery after all. That was the weirdest boat ride ever. Woke Disney World. We've transitioned to a new business model, but the goal remains the same. All right, now, get out there and make me some damn money. Saluting those who gave their all on this Memorial Day. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
He is a Republican candidate for the President of the United States. Vivek Ramaswamy is here. Hey, man. Good to be on. How are you? Uh, thanks for going easy on the toys. I've had differentiating takes. Hey, I like, you know, to each their own style. I don't like to pick on people for okay. uh, for their style. In fact, I quite like it, to be okay. to the I was, contrary. I was going to say, like, around. back in the day when kids would trade, like, baseball cards and toys, is there a toy here you would trade? Like, there's a Millennium Falcon. There's a He-Man. Mm. Although I should, well, He-Man is now called They-Them. You can't make it is. He-Man. It is. Yeah, yeah. It is a birthing person. <laughs> for man? Is it? <laughs> so that's that's I think what I see on the table here. Uh, well, Vivek, you have uh, it's a very f- peculiar place in our news cycle right now because you're not only running for president, yes, but in a pop culture in a culture war way, it is. You're almost the guy who killed Bin Laden. <laughs> Because you're very much responsible for Don Lemon getting fired. You know, the guy who shot Bin Laden didn't have to buy a beer ever again, they say. Yeah. I don't know that you'd ever have to buy a beer. Not that you were asking for a Bud Light, but I don't know that you'd have to buy one. But yeah, that's right. Definitely not asking for a Bud Light. Maybe a Bud Right, but not a, uh, not a Bud Light. You know, so, so listen, this is why I go to the other side's turf, mm-hmm. and I like to win because oh. we have the winning arguments, but sometimes we get afraid of the fact that the terrain is a little unfair, it's yep. a little uneven. Let's grow up and actually do it. I right? love that. And, and I think that Don Lemon, he surprised me a little bit. I didn't expect him to go that far off the reservation. Yeah. But he was engaging in just self-immolation at that, the end of the day, well, in that, plain sight. You could just watch him unraveling. Well, well, that's my favorite thing about the moment is Poppy Harlow's on set with you, and she just lets him go. Oh, she, sh- she's like, you know, I could save. That was everything you needed to know about their relationship. That's right. Was the fact that she didn't cut him off. Yeah, you know, it was. It was. Uh, I, I have a feeling that their show is going to be better off without him, and I give him <laughs> a lot of credit for it. But you know, to say something as as noxious that you can't say something about post Civil War history mm-hmm. to a black man unless you're black. Yeah, I think that embodies everything that's been wrong with our culture in the last five years. Mm-hmm. But I think we're about to turn a corner, and I'm running for president to lead us around that corner because I think there's a better place. I love the idea of this because something comes up all the time. Whenever there's a controversial story in the news, you'll you'll see some people pander and say, well, I'm not saying anything. These aren't my people. I'm like, no, no, no. they're all of our people. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at it that way as we're supposed to. Exactly. You know, we were supposed to be post-race, and they very much, it's almost like we're being resegregated. Of course. It's fascinating, but I think that's why they're so threatened by the idea of you because you're trying to engage in the identity, uh, in the, excuse me, in the idea battle mm-hmm. instead of leveraging your background, your identity. Um, but this is the question I wanted to ask. So Biden relaunches a campaign yesterday, which we both think would be very heavily steeped in identity politics. Mm-hmm. Um, is it kind of fascinating to see him running in 2024 without running in 2020? It's interesting. It's interesting. I don't think he's running either time. Yeah, that's right. It was weird, right? I think he's not running either time because <laughs> the biggest farce, Jimmy, is uh-huh. that Biden's actually running for president yeah. at all. Uh-huh. He's not. He's just a puppet. Is he the front? He's absolutely the front, right? There's the managerial class mm-hmm. that wants to pull the strings on the puppet. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the puppet can't think, the fact that it has a cognitive deficit, that's a feature. That's a good thing, right? It's the same reason they like John Fetterman in the U.S. Senate. Easier to control. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the puppet masters were thinking that if it, if, if it looked like Trump wasn't going to run, then they don't want Joe but, Biden. Yeah. But if Trump's going to run, they're like, hey, if it worked once, let's do the same thing again. We'll still be the ones pulling the strings. Who cares if he suffers from dementia or some other condition, right? I don't know what it is. <laughs> no, but nobody cares. But this is the one thing. This is the problem we're having is because we, we see 70% of Americans don't want Biden to run. But there is no way of polling the invisible people he shakes hands with. 
That's right. So maybe that number's off. Maybe he's going to win. Maybe the Invisible Man <laughs> shows up. Vivek well, Ramaswamy's we'll in studio. Uh, he is the author of Capital Punishment. I want to talk about your book for a second uh, because one of the heavy premises in the book is about voting with your dollars, how you have an opportunity every day to exercise your voice in our democracy through your purchases. Um, do you think when it comes to Disney, I know we've talked a great length about Bud Light, but do you think when it comes to Disney, DeSantis is too heavily engaged in the culture war or do you think he has it right? Like, where would you put it? Well, I would say, uh, and by the, by the way, we call the book to as a play on capital punishment. Yes. It's capitalist yes, punishment. Thank you. My yeah. bad. No, it's good. It's because it, it gets to the essence of it's punishing capitalism mm -hmm. in a certain way, or using capitalism as a form of punishment of everyday citizens. So here's my take on DeSantis. Right. Mm -hmm. I think he thrives on news cycles. Mm -hmm. He wants to do whatever allows him to get in the news cycle, mm -hmm. but he's off by half. Okay. Right. So the thing with Disney, a lot, of, not a lot of people know this. Under DeSantis, he's the one that gave them a special protection under the law. Is that true? Yeah. So the special protection he gave them, because you remember when there was a lot of big tech censorship? Mm -hmm. Florida led the way, and I give him credit, for passing an anti-discrimination statute against viewpoints. Mm -hmm. But there was a little carve-out in there. Mm -hmm. The carve-out was the Disney rule, which says that if you operate a website like Disney Streaming and you also own a 25-acre or more amusement park, then that restriction doesn't apply to you. So Disney lobbied DeSantis and got that into a law he passed himself. Uh -huh. So he walks himself into his own traps, but then says, okay, I'm going to roll that back if I don't like what you're saying. Mm -hmm. The worst part of the story is... After he gets the news cycle, he's not paying attention to the details. Uh -huh. Disney gets the better of him and has the last laugh as they actually completely uh, castrate the board so, from its power. So that's that's my issue with DeSantis. Is he, he wants to do the right thing, he thinks, which is a stunt. Mm -hmm. But the stunt doesn't work because the company's smarter than the stuntman, and they'll just wait for the storm to pass and then get whatever they need out of him. That's Ron DeSantis in a nutshell which is part of why I think for the presidency, we mm -hmm. need somebody who's an original thinker, not a follower. Well, we would definitely put you in that box. So let me ask you this question with a minute that we have left together. I mean, where did the time go, by the way? Totally, It's just man. magic. <laughs> uh, assuming you secure this, nominee, uh, this nomination, uh, who would you be more likely to make your VP, Trump or DeSantis? I'd probably take Trump. Would you? Just because very, from a very practical sense, He's taken on the administrative state. He went as far as he was going to go. Uh -huh. I'm going to go much further in shutting down the administrative state, but I'd want to understand those lessons. And uh -huh. Trump is not a professional politician, yeah. and that's what it's going to take to reform you, the federal government. You like a street fighter. This is what we were talking yes. about off the air, and I yes. think everyone else does too. It's the one thing I think folks are sleeping on yeah. is we analyze politics from a lot of traditional metrics, but I think the average voter is just sick of getting stomped on by the man. Totally. Or totally. The, in this case, we're getting stomped on by the them. By, uh, <laughs> by oh, the them and the system. The book is Capitalist Punishment. It's an epic by multiple copies. Vivek Ramaswamy, we'll do it again. Thank you, man. Right, Appreciate gonna, that. I'm trying not to get emotional. I'm out of here. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. But now we're doing it in our studio. I'm talking about former South Carolina governor and U.N. ambassador and 2024 presidential candidate in the Republican Party, Nikki Haley, is here and the crowd goes wild. Good to see you. Thanks, Jimmy. It's great to be here. This is quite the setup. Uh, I got to tell you, 
okay? It really does look like this is what my bedroom looked like in 1987. <laughs> now, I don't know if that puts you at ease or it makes you concerned that I'm in some type of weird state of arrested development. It's a little creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you're not the first person to say that, so I won't take it the wrong way. But it does. It's, it, it does. It looks like the inside of the van that promised you candy. I don't need you to comment on that. Uh, just thanks for coming. It's like as if people weren't a little thrown just based on my attire. Because you're running for president. I look like I'm going to a junior prom after this in, like, my blue velvet outfit. Uh, but let's get into you because they've had enough interventions for me, and none of them have taken um, but I wanted to ask you this. Uh, you launched your campaign. Everybody's all excited. Razzle-dazzle. So excited. A lot of good music at the rallies. When you go on the road, are you and Cheney, your superstar assistant, do you guys, are you rocking out? Is there something we're listening to right now that we need to know about? I mean, I'm always listening to music. Okay. I love music. It's been a part of my life for uh -huh. a long time. So, like, before I went out for my announcement, I was listening to Ozzy Osbourne and Post Malone. <laughs> um, sometimes you'll hear me listening to Joan Jett. Um, it's just... So, all right, this this is important then. So, so some Ozzy, some Joan Jett. Is there any uh, potential under a Haley administration for a presidential karaoke party. I mean, I'm all for it. Would that go down in the... But I always say, if you ever see me doing karaoke, take me home. <laughs> like, I've always said that. Is that like, the, the sign? That's the sign. At, so the like, at the very least, take your car keys. That's exactly right. No, that's exactly right. Hey, defense wins championships. Isn't that what they say? <laughs> uh, other fun facts we need to know. Did you? Did you have a nickname growing up? I was looking. It was always Nikki. Really? Yeah. Wasn't like the crusher or anything like that? Nothing like that? No. Nope. Have you given thought to the fact that you might get a nickname from a certain Republican candidate who's been known for that sort of thing in the past? I haven't given any thought of it, but if he wants to call me a badass, I'll take it. <laughs> oh, Haley! Shots fired. She came in. She insulted the studio. Now she's crowned herself the bad. I mean, wow. I think you're about to sing karaoke. You're fired up over here. <laughs> Nikki Haley is in studio. I want to talk policy with you as well. And it's exciting to have this time with you. So I appreciate you taking the time. One of the things I saw you say yesterday that I think resonates with a lot of talk radio audiences is the fact that America has become the world's ATM. And people don't appreciate that, especially at a time when we have so many domestic struggles here. It's not that we're rooting for Vladimir Putin to roll Ukraine, but at the same time, we feel like second class when, you know, there's no attention paid to something like East Palestine. And then, of course, you've got this issue with foreign aid to China and maybe some of the countries you called out yesterday. I think one of your tweets said, if you chant death to America, no aid. Right? I, think that's, I think that's a reasonable policy. It's totally common sense. <laughs> I mean, the idea that we gave $46 billion in mm. foreign aid. Mm. I mean, that's a lot of money in itself. But I saw this at the UN. You have countries and they'd like stab us in the back, but they turn around and have their hand out wanting money. Uh -huh. Stop giving money to our enemies. We're giving, you know... Two billion dollars to Pakistan. Trump stopped that, which was great. Mm -hmm. But now Biden's walking that back again. You look at Iraq. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're dealing with all the Iranian proxies that are saying death to America. Why would we do that? Zimbabwe, like the least friendly American, you know, mm -hmm. African country that you've yeah. got. And we're giving them all this money, hundreds of millions of dollars. It's unacceptable. And then, you know, China, we're giving money for the environment. Yeah. Like, come on. It's our number <laughs> one adversary. And you're going to give money to the environment. Communist Cuba, we call, mm -hmm. you know, we named them a terrorist organization, yet we're giving them money. Mm -hmm. All of these things, it doesn't make sense to give money like that. We should be strategic. Stop trying to buy friends. You can't buy friends with money. It doesn't work. No, I agree. We're talking to Nikki Haley in studio, Republican candidate for the White House. And listen, people appreciate you saying it. Coming when, when I give the world advice about.
about money and then they see this sport coat, they're like, all right, no, no. You know what I mean? No, no one wants to hear my financial advice as a guy who dresses the way I do on TV. But coming from you, it does. It carries a lot of weight. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk about as it pertains to money is the fact that today the Supreme Court may rule on student loan forgiveness. A lot of the people that have discussed this issue on my show feel like they're being asked unjustly to pay off the loans they didn't take out, which I think it's like getting a bill in the mail from Applebee's for food you didn't eat. Like, should Joe Biden at least send us some chicken fingers if we're going to pay student loan debt for other people? It's so wrong. Like, my husband and I, it took us forever to finish paying off his student mm -hmm. debt. Yeah. So now to think that we're going to go pay for someone else's, it's a terrible incentive. Mm -hmm. It sends the wrong message. And you can't do that. You can't take from one person and give to another. You mm -hmm. can't do that. Yeah. And so, you know, let's hope the Supreme Court comes down with the right thing because I think it's terribly wrong. And most of that money is actually going to postgraduate loans. Yeah. And I, I just think that the American people see this for what it is. It's the wrong thing and it's irresponsible. Yeah, I would agree with that. It drives me crazy because I feel like what's going on in this country right now is we're kind of undermining people's self-reliance. You know, if your parents migrated to this country and ran a small business that became a larger business, you're kind of the embodiment of the American dream, which is something that's very heavily predicated on work ethic. And this idea that everybody is entitled, you know, equal opportunity was never supposed to mean equal outcome. But I think we're eliminating a lot of the merit that's necessary to free us from this victimhood mindset and push us towards a victorhood mindset. Is that what you saw your campaign launch as? Or were you using your brown skin to launder white supremacy? I mean, Someone said that with a straight face. I mean, God bless them all, I'll tell you. You know, I mean, I think at the end of the day, we have to remember that we're a country that prides itself on work ethic and uh -huh. responsibility. And we need to get back to being a strong and proud America again. Yeah. And you don't do that by giving giving away money or paying people to sit on the couch. You do that by getting people, the very best people have to give mm -hmm. to contribute into society. No, and I would agree with that. And if we're going to do student loan forgiveness, why can't I get blackjack forgiveness? I'm telling you. I've had a lot of bad nights in the casino. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, I think it's, it's, it's worth getting into. There's another thing, though. When you are taking these attacks, because I've heard you speak to these attacks and the fact that they feel very threatened by the idea of a conservative woman. Mm-hmm. Is there not a part of you, though, that, like, wonders, you know, how they could say it with it? Like, did it take rehearsal to say with a straight face? They've done it for years. Uh -huh. I mean, this is, the, you know, the liberals are very offended by the fact that a minority female would be a Republican. Mm -hmm. They just can't stand it. You saw that with Whoopi Goldberg. You see it with Don Lemon. All of that. And I even when I was elected governor, I remember there was an African-American female Democrat. And she said, she's not a minority. She's just a conservative with a tan. Oh I mean, God. they've done this forever. And but they know I'm a threat because they know I pull from their base. They know I pull suburban women. They know I pull minorities and they just can't take it. So, you know, I'm used to it. It doesn't bother me. We turn lemons, you know, lemonade from lemons and literally did that with koozies by selling um, past my prime, hold my beer. <laughs> I mean, you know. That was really funny. We, la we laughed at that one. Well, as I was saying, I hosted Gutfeld the other night. Don Lemon, because of you, because of his comments on you, he was off the air for three shows, but oddly enough was seen by the same amount of people.
had he remained on the air because no one's watching. And and their answer was to give him sensitivity training. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Good luck with that. <laughs> we're, we're talking to Nikki Haley, uh, presidential badass. Uh, her words, not mine. Uh, but who, know, who knows where this is going to head. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, another thing I wanted to throw at you, because this is a question that's been raised a lot. Okay, in the past you had said you wouldn't run against President Trump. Obviously something has changed that prompted you to run against him. What was it? A lot. I mean, you look, we didn't have, at the time, I said that we didn't have the fall of Afghanistan. We didn't have our economy the way it is. We hadn't lost the midterms. Mm -hmm. And I think that what people are saying is they want to know that there's more options besides just Trump and Biden. Mm -hmm. And they want to see us go in a new direction. And I don't think you have to be 80 years old to, to be in D.C. You see, I think that's fair. And they tried to pawn that off as like, you know, not when I say they, I say very few of Biden's defenders at this point tried to pawn it off as like ages. And Bernie Sanders said that because, you know, Bernie probably har harbors some outside suspicion that if he gets tired of getting rich off, you know, screaming about the evils of capitalism, <laughs> he might give this another go. But I think the American people agree with you. I mean, I'm saying we should have term limits in Washington uh -huh. and we should have mental competency tests for people over the age of 75. I mean, in the military, people age out. In law enforcement, people age out. Why is D.C. so set on having that power. And Bernie Sanders is a perfect example of why both of those things are important, term limits and mental competency tests. <laughs> well, you got to admire the Bernie racket, though. Like, he's charging people $95 to get into a lecture about the evils of capitalism. Like, I mean, what a hustle. I mean, on some level, I respect it. I don't agree with him in principle, but I almost respect the fact that there's money to be made. And, and you have to take it seriously. They literally are trying to creep us into socialism. Yeah. And we know capitalism has mm -hmm. lifted up more people in the history of the world than anything. Yep. But, I mean, you look at the squad, you look at Bernie Sanders, but even you look at some of our Republicans, they're starting to slide into socialism. We can't let that happen. Economic freedom matters. Oh, and wait. every American should always have economic freedom in their lives. Yeah, I would agree with that. We're talking to Nikki Haley. She is in studio. Uh, she is running for the Republican nomination for the president of the United States. Is there any point of that? Because, like, my life's crazy. I used to be a cab driver. Now I'm on TV all the time on the radio with you. It's crazy. And I try to hit these measuring moments where I'm like, wow, you're doing this. Uh, when you're actually walking out onto a stage to say, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be the next president. Like... What's, is there anything going through your head or is there nothing going through your head? That's why you do something so audacious. No, I think the Ozzy Osbourne song was going through <laughs> my head, to be honest. But I don't think of it like that. Like, I think that's the wrong way to look okay, at it. Because what you're doing is you're running to serve the people, mm -hmm. right? You're running to go and write a ship. And I think that it's so important that people feel proud about their country again. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that they see someone who's willing to do that. I've been a two-term governor. I know what it means to balance a budget. I know what it means to deal with crises and make decisions. I was, you know, an ambassador, not of one country, but with 192. And I mm -hmm. took the kick me sign off of our back. <laughs> I think it's time that we have that kind of leadership. I think it's time that we get a problem solver in there that's got executive experience and say, let's do this. And so, no, there was nothing thinking about it except for I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's get America back on track. And I'm going to be that person that does it. No, I love it. So you were listening to Ozzy. You bit a bat's head off. And you walked out onto the stage. You can confirm that for the listeners. <laughs> Not the bat, but everything else. Well, listen, they would have they would have accused you of starting the COVID uh, pandemic. That's exactly right. Which we are now uh, told, which I think somebody, everyone believed to be true two years ago, that it originated in a lab. How do you deal with China if we reach a consensus point that they kind of leaked this into the world? Maybe not intentionally, 
but as a president, Nikki Haley. How do you hold China accountable, given the entanglements in both economies? I mean, treat them as the adversary that they are. And that means when I dealt with China at the United Nations, you, we had to tell them what we expected of them. You okay. look at the COVID situation, the fact that they haven't been held accountable, mm -hmm. I think it came from a lab. I think it wasn't malicious. I think it was yeah. an accident. Mm -hmm. But think about what they did. What they did was they closed off their borders so no one could come in. Mm -hmm. But they opened their borders and let everybody out. They didn't want to be the only country embarrassed. Yep. And then they turned around and released this to the world. I think that is a major problem. And let's not talk about, I mean, the fact that American children looked up to the sky and saw a Chinese spy balloon looking back at them. <laughs> this is a country that for too long, mm -hmm. Republicans and Democrats thought if we were nice to them, they'd want to be like us. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be like us. No. They want, they see the West as the great sinners. Mm -hmm. We have to start treating them the way they deserve to be treated. And that is start focusing on international intellectual property. Let's mm -hmm. hold them accountable when they steal it. Let's hold them accountable for COVID and how they handled the World Health Organization, our universities. Mm -hmm. Tell them you either take Chinese money or you take American money. You don't get both. Mm -hmm. Start doing things like that and let's build up our military. Mm -hmm. There's nothing China fears more than a strong American military. And you know what we're doing instead? Mm -hmm. Making our military take gender pronoun classes. Yeah, it's, it's unthinkable. It's really weird, but when you think of an iconic film like Saving Private Ryan, where they storm the beach at Normandy. In the modern version of that, they would be reordering the boats. We don't have enough representation in this boat. We need enough of these people raising the... But the, I, the point of war, like you said, is, you know, a fierce fighting force that can give us peace through strength. Like I mean, a, a military we don't even have to use because nobody wants to mess with them. I'm a military wife. My yeah. husband deployed to Afghanistan. He's a combat veteran. They need to focus on staying safe themselves and defending our freedoms yeah. and, and saving us from enemies. They don't need to think about whether they're hurting someone's feelings or not. Yeah, it's weird. We and, don't we don't want army tanks with a hate has no home here bumper sticker on the back. I mean, what's happened to us? And so we've got to just snap out of it and get things back on track. You're kind of bringing me full circle now to your badass declaration. We The world actually does need a little bit of a badass right now. Absolutely. Because a strong America is what actually ensures some type of stability on this planet. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges is I think we've emboldened a lot of what's going on. Like, I think Afghanistan was a precursor to Taiwan, maybe even a spy balloon, dare I say Ukraine. Uh, do you feel like with all the aid we're sending to Ukraine, we should at least be establishing some type of an off-ramp or, you know, maybe an outline of what would constitute victory? Well, I think what's important is we don't need to give foreign aid to our enemies, and I would stop all of that as president, but you need to have the backs of your friends like Ukraine okay. and Israel. Mm -hmm. I don't think we should give them blank checks. We should never send money. I do think we should give them the equipment and ammunition they need to win, along with other countries. You know, Saudi Arabia just gave $400 million to Ukraine. We need more to help Ukraine because it's a war we have to win. Yeah. This is a war about freedom. If Ukraine falls... Mm -hmm. Russia has said Poland and the Baltics are next, and then you've got a world war. Our job is to prevent war, okay. not to start war, and that's what's going to happen if we get a strong military. Okay, fair. Uh, last question. Are you going to fire your publicist for booking you on the show? Not at all. I'm going to ask her when we're coming back. <laughs> Stop it, Nikki. Yeah, just buttering me up. <laughs> This is what she does. She walked into the studio, annihilated the toy collection, had a lot of issues with the jacket. She's like, are you going to wear that for the interview? But I'm kidding. But you got her on the air. You were a million bucks. I kick with a smile. That's what I do. <laughs> That's what she does. Well, thank you for this. This uh, has been fun. We'll do it again soon. And Cheney, if you need help landing a gig on LinkedIn, just let me know. I'll get you some work. Go to yeah. NikkiHaley.com. Join our movement. You better. Back after this. 
Remembering those we lost, protecting our freedom on this Memorial Day. You're listening to the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. I would tell you from you to me, obviously, there's a long way to go in the nominating contest. You'll hear from the Trumps, the DeSantises. You've certainly heard a lot of Tim Scott on this show. You've heard Mike Pence on the show. Anybody who's going to get in the race, we'll talk to. Mike Pompeo, of course. The thing about meeting people uh, that I'm always trying to relay to you, like, you know, when I told you I went to the White House Correspondents' Dinner and I met all the White House people and the media people, and I always like to give you a feel for what the person is like behind the politics. That's kind of like my big thing. You know, who means it? What they're like? Are they nice off the air? You know, are they jerks off the air and nice on the air or in between? Nikki Haley, actually, of all things. <laughs> she deserves credit for this. Like, I do, com I do comedy for a living. Okay, I host TV shows. I host radio shows. I go on the road. I'm used to talking smack to people. It's what I do. It's how I pay my rent. Okay. Nikki Haley walked into the studio when we were off the air and just started insulting everything. Like, it was funny. She wasn't mean. She ripped up the toys. She got into my jacket. <laughs> she got into my jacket. Started talking to me about things I said on Gutfeld the other night. It was actually, like, really funny. Like, legitimately very funny. Like, the kind of, like, ball-busting that I grew up around in a, in a comedy club. You know, when we started out doing comedy in the city, no one was worried about feelings. They were just funny. The first time I ever did a set at the Comic Strip Live, as I was signing out for the money, the late, great Vic Henley goes, you're going to take the money for that performance? With, like, a straight face. I was, like, devastated. And he was obviously joking. It's a way of telling you you belonged. And I guess that's what Nikki Haley did. She was saying I belong. Oh, come on. From everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon, hour number two of this special Memorial Day Best Of. We are, of course, off today. But we are raising a glass to the men and women who put on the uniform, protected this country, and gave their lives for our freedoms. We salute every one of you and your family members who have sacrificed so much as well. This show, of course, for them. And in this hour, we are leading off with a guy who knows all too well about the dangers and perils of war, both here and abroad. Uh, this first guest in this hour is now a best-selling author uh, who, of course, earned that status in every sense of the word by being involved in a roadside bombing as he covered the conflict in Ukraine and lost two of his colleagues in the bombing. He himself lost limbs, lost an eye, but did not lose his fighting sense of purpose, his love of family or country. I am, of course, talking about the one and only, the legend, Benjamin Hall. Tom in Colchester, Vermont. Did you hear what happened uh, in Vermont about the, the Christian school that uh, mm -hmm. they refused to play a basketball game because mm -hmm. uh, the other team had a biological male on it? Mm -hmm. And, uh, they, you know, they didn't want their girls competing against the male. Mm -hmm. And the Vermont, Public, uh, the Vermont Principals Association banned the school from competing in any sports. That's crazy. So yeah, but the um, the reason I wanted to call is that uh, isn't it uh, a little ironic how like for three straight years we were told we had to follow the science, <laughs> and and now you know now the science you know scientific facts don't matter. Oh no, not even a little. That's the thing. 
These phrases are phrases they hide behind when they're trying to coerce you to get their way. It's like with abortion, they're back to saying my body, my choice. But a year ago, if you didn't want a vaccine, they said you should be fired. It wasn't your body and it wasn't your choice. So, yeah, the hypocrisy knows no boundaries when it comes to that. Those are the points I'm always trying to make on the radio, Tom, is like anyone listening should understand you don't have to be Republican to get the ridiculousness of this. It's, you know, it's American. It's, you know, and un-American in some instances to be pushed around the way we have by the government. But that's what's happening now. Like when you talk about that school in Vermont that can't compete. So all of those kids miss out on sports based on a lie, like a straight. It's a lie. It's pretend. Doesn't mean people can't do it. Okay, if you're 18, you want to go do it. But, again, you wouldn't need gender reassignment surgery if this idea existed that you already were that gender. Then why is it being reassigned? Because it's not. You know, that's the point. It's a hustle. I'm glad you get it. Yeah, so just uh, uh, three words. You do you. Imagine. Right? Yeah. But, no. Don't you dare. I can't get over the, the school you know, sending that kid home for a shirt. It's just craziness. Yeah, it's its bananas. And the kid, again, is stating a scientifically accurate fact. But that's what the Democrats do now, which I do think is, like, dangerous, is they're now telling you the facts are hate crimes. The facts pose a threat to society, so we should just probably ignore them because we've made up some invisible group of people that's going to kill the transgender community. Nobody wants to kill a transgender community. They, they, right. you know, they're kind of tired of the conversation, if we're being honest. They're tired of having their own beliefs trampled on, but that's the joke of the whole thing. The side of tolerance is the most intolerant side in the country. You, you nailed. You hit the nail right on the head, Jimmy. And uh, uh, thank you for taking my call. And uh, get, get back up here to Vermont. I'm working on it, man. I tell you know, tell Kurt and the boys we got to get something going. Uh, good stuff, my man. I'll talk to you soon. There goes the great Tom in Colchester, Vermont. And yes, we do owe WVMT a party. We want to get together with the VMT listeners. We haven't scheduled anything yesterday. I don't know what's going on. They haven't. I haven't heard from Kurt to the gang or anything. I don't know what the, what they're up to. Uh, but we're gonna work something out. We got a lot of touring coming up. We're going to. Davenport, Iowa, June 3rd, Mesa, Arizona, June 10th, Lexington, Kentucky, June the 24th, Holland, Michigan, July the 8th, and of course, the Grand Opera House in St. Mary's, Ohio, July the 29th. Jim Jordan's coming to that one, too. It's going to be like a town hall sort of thing. And then August the 25th, the Green Valley Ranch in Henderson, Nevada. That's going to be a banger. So you're welcome. You want to come hang out with your radio buddy, see what this mess is all about. You got a lot of options. Okay, but I think your best option right now, not only for your entertainment dollar, but for your American privilege dollar. You know, I always say if you were born in this country, you have American privilege. Forget about white privilege or all the class warfare terms that are bandied about. Okay, if you live in this country, you live in a country with unlimited upward mobility, a country where anyone can truly be anything, a country where we are more tolerant and inclusive than any society in the world, so much so that we're now making up instances of racism. Okay, like, do you remember when CNN wrote that piece two weeks ago about how you can't use an emoji that's a different color than your natural skin color because that's racism? People aren't buying it, CNN, you dumb bastards. Of course, but that was the tell. When you start reading stories where they're telling you something's racist but they can't say why, it's because they benefit from division. They don't actually want unity. There's a lot of people that run on grievance. That being said... If you live in this country, you have hit the lottery by virtue of the fact that you are here. 
And no one knows that better than our next guest. Coming up in the next break, Benjamin Hall, who at the time was a war correspondent for Fox News, was attacked and two of his colleagues were bombed and killed as they were trying to report on the war in Ukraine. Benjamin Hall lost both of his feet, a hand and an eye, went through 33 surgeries, but wanted to get back to this country. This country. Wanted to get back to his family, obviously, his beautiful daughters, his beautiful wife, and had a lot to live for, and had a country to get back to, and ultimately did, and is really one of the most inspiring stories you're ever going to hear anywhere let alone on a radio chop shop like this. So stick around because the great Benjamin Hall joining us next when we come back on Fox Across America. Saluting those who gave their all on this Memorial Day. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. He is a Fox News State Department correspondent, and he is a great hang in the green rooms of Fox News, if I dare say. Benjamin Hall is here. Hey, man. Jimmy, how's it going, man? Better now. You know you're always good for morale when we get together. We always have a couple of laughs. And uh, I, I, Go ahead. You do that, Jimmy. It's you who does that. Paul, you stop it, okay? Because when you're in the green room, and I saw you the other night at the correspondence dinner, too, okay, you run a room really well. Like, I, know, I don't know that you want to do talk radio, but you'd be great at it. Well, and I don't even I don't even have to wear a pink uh, suit either. Whoa! Paul like, coming right at me! Come on, man! <laughs> I th- I thought we were buddies. Well, <laughs> let me ask you this, Benjamin Hall. Uh, having made it through your book, which is such an incredibly inspiring tale, and there's so many you know heavy and poignant moments we can get to, but uh, the question I want to know is who is going to play you in the movie? <laughs> um, it, it's a good question. We talk about it uh, quite a lot. <laughs> More often, we talk about what, who will play my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we end up with someone like Michelle Pfeiffer, Kim Bassinger, someone, someone great like this. But uh, well, I'm a little bit more modest myself. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. I would imagine, like, if you're having this debate with your family, you know, you can't. You, I would not suggest anyone to play my wife. Because that doesn't end good. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, because there's there's the off chance she doesn't think this woman's good looking enough. Then maybe there's the other concern that she's like, well, what do you what what do you got with women that look like that? You know what I'm saying? That's a no win, Benjamin Hall. Well, then you're smarter than I am. You see, I dive right in. <laughs> I say the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have listen. You have a lot of capital right now that I don't have. Uh, so you got that going for you. But I but every time I meet you, I try to figure out who's going to play this role. And I have some. I have an eye on who I think would no, play, who would play okay. you well. Am I? I know. No. Are we? Are we going to break up if I tell you? Let's do it. Well, it depends how. It depends how. All right. Then maybe we save it to the end of the interview then, because my producer's shaking his head no. <laughs> Get it. You gotta say it now, Jimmy. Come on. No, I don't know. You know what? You know. I would, obviously, I was going to say Brad Pitt. Thank you. Thank you. Good answer. Look at Good me. Answer. Look at me buttering up the guest. <laughs> even even after he knee, after he took down my pink jacket at the correspondence dinner, I still treat you right, Benjamin Hall. You wore it well, Jimmy. You wore it well. Hey, thanks for that. I'll send you the twenty bucks later. All right, let's <laughs> let's get into this. First of all, uh, you did get a tremendous reception yesterday uh, when you got back to the State Department. That had to feel like a million bucks, huh? Yeah, it did. It really did. You know, we are all, uh, we work in the same industry. We're all very close. We're, we often go to the same, sometimes dangerous places. And um, 
part of the recovery, part of getting back was about going back to the work, getting back to the State Department, seeing all those people who have willed me on all along. The same is true with coming back to Fox. You know, I came into the Fox Bureau and everyone was around me. Everyone stood up and I got through this incredibly difficult year and a half because of all those people's support. And I only think that it's now my turn to say thank you to them because of how much support they gave me. Well, that's you know, it's truly incredible and, and inspiring and in so many ways. And wouldn't you say... Just on, on that basic human level, there's a gravity, you know, to living your life for other people, like your family. You know, that gravitational pull, I think, is what you described in the book is actually pulling you out of that car, no? Yeah, absolutely. And when you have gone through something like this, something as bad as this, you know, and you see some horrific things, and Pierre and Sasha, uh, they died that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I tell you what happens is that so many of the small things that we – that you worry about in life, that, you know, they might bother you one day. They have disappeared from my life. Mm-hmm. I no longer worry about the small little things that once did. I think about the big things like that. I just think about family, being with family, working hard, doing the right things. Uh, and in many senses, my life has become easier because of it, because I, I'm no longer bothered by the little, the nitty gritty uh, anymore. It's almost like you develop a, a more efficient production model. You know, it's like you're more you're more emotionally f- efficient. Is that what you'd say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, certainly had a whole lot of feelings that I'd never felt before, and you have to a, learn how to deal with those. You know, mm-hmm. have to look them straight in the eye and deal with them. And then, look, I think I really do think that difficult experiences make us stronger. And as hard as they are, you learn from them. You have to learn from them, and you have to make sure that they make you a better person. 100%. We're talking to the great Benjamin Hall. He is the author of Saved, a war reporter's mission to take it, to make it home. Um, here's my question. Uh, in the book, you kind of go to great lengths to detail that your return trip uh, involved a lot of cooperation between governments and non-government agencies. Can you kind of give the listener some insight into how all of that went down? Yeah, um, this was um, hundreds of people from four or five different countries all came really to, to my to my rescue. And when we were first hit by these Russian bombs, uh, first of all, no one knew where we were. No one knew we'd been attacked. There were no cell phone reception mm-hmm. uh, where we were lying. Um, and I was there for 40 minutes, very badly injured. And um, that's where people, the first person came along and saved me. And he was Ukrainian special forces. He was driving along. He took a wrong turn and he happened to see me there. And so there's a Ukrainian who picked me up. He took me to a Ukrainian military hospital on the outskirts. It's beaten up old place. And these Ukrainian doctors there uh, patched me up, gave me that life-saving surgery that I needed right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this operation began, including veterans from the U.S., former military, former intelligence. We had um, the Polish prime minister who was on a covert mission to, uh, to see Zelensky. And there was an arrangement that if we could get onto the Polish prime minister's train, along with the Czech prime minister, then we could escape along with these uh, sort of military veterans, U.S., who came in to save me. Um, So we had a number of different countries working with us at that point, clearing checkpoints for us, checking ahead, seeing if if the route was clear. And this was, you know, different countries, different security networks, all working together to try and get me out. Uh, And it just reminds you of how much, you know, the teamwork that happens, not only the... um, Mm-hmm. Well, well, in the military, you know, I mean, and, yeah. and how they all work together to get me out. Well, it's, you know, what I find so inspiring about all of this is that there is still, you know, when you get beyond the immediacy of all the political division we're living in, there's a shared humanity in the world that's as big now as it's probably ever been. And you might not notice it if you spent all day on social media, but your experience is a testament to just how vast that sharing goes. 
Absolutely. And, you know, what I think when I look back at the last year and a half, I don't remember the worst part. I don't remember the horror or the pain from the attack itself. I remember the thousands of people who then patched me up, rebuilt me, helped me, willed me on, supported me. That is that community of good, which is so much more important than the evil out there. And I really felt that, and I saw that. And there are things like that that bring people together. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what we've got to look for in life. And there are so many things that happen, whether it's sitting down and talking to someone over a great meal or whether it's saving someone's life. You know, those small little moments, um, those go a long way. They bring people together, and I think they're so much, so much, so important. Listen, uh, if if Brad Pitt is listening, and he usually is, he has to see the potential for playing you here. I mean, this is Oscar material, Hall. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with you, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> give us a give us a call, uh, Brad. If you're out there, we'll pass along the number. But it's it really is such a phenomenal story, and you are you know just such an outstanding individual. And I know you know this. But you inspire the people here at Fox News so much every day. And I, I hope that sounds sincere because I've been rehearsing it for an hour and a half now. I can't uh, hold. No, you, you know I love but, you. But you know what I found is that this didn't happen just to me. This happened to everyone around me. Yep. And I know how hard it was for the people who work at Fox, all of my friends, how mm-hmm. hard it was for my family, how hard it is for the doctors who are trying to save your life. You know, this is something that it isn't one person going through it. This is all of us going through this. And I really felt that. And my recovery was a big part of the team, yep. you know, was a team around me too. So, look, the, the hundreds, the thousands of viewers who reached out during my recovery and sent me messages saying, we're willing you on, we're mm-hmm. praying for you, we're yep. thinking of you. Um, every single one of those helps you. And what I love now is the people who read the book, again, Hundreds reaching out to me and saying, I've got a problem, I've had an injury, something's happened in my life, a family member has died, but reading your book has helped me find strength, has helped me get through it. And, you know, if that's the one thing that I can do from this is give other people strength and tell them that we can go through hard times together, then I am very, very happy. Like That, that would be my number one goal, and, and that's happened a few times, so I'm, I'm thrilled. The studio audience is standing and cheering right now. If you were here, you'd see it for yourself. Really epic stuff. Uh, listen, you know I do love talking to you, and we're so thankful for you and your well-being and to have you back here with us uh, doing what you do best. The book is called Saved, A War Reporter's Mission to Make It Home. Uh, that is Benjamin Hall. You know him from this day forward as Brad Pitt. Uh, but, sir, I thank you for your time, and I look forward to hanging in the green room soon. What a pleasure, Jimmy. Any day. My man. I'll talk to you soon. There he goes. The great... Benjamin Hall, what a phenomenal story. Crowd truly going wild, as they should. Uh, Just such an incredible, inspiring guy on every level. 30 surgeries. Lost both feet, one eye, one leg. Hand severely damaged, blindness in one eye, severe burns. But wanted to get back here to his family. And had the unique perspective, having gone through this ordeal that most of what matters in this world are those things, your family, your basic happiness. And the reason I find his story, it just resonates with me so heavily, is not because I can compare with that on any level. I haven't gone through any of that. I mean, I had season tickets to the Knicks one year. You want to talk about trauma. But again, on a serious level, I can't, you know, compare to that in any, any way. Man, oh boy, oh man, a tip of the cap to Benjamin Hall. I mean, such an incredible guy, such a wonderful story, uh, such a, a bad contrast with a guy like me who's, 
in a backyard somewhere barbecuing on the best of. But we will continue our salute to the country and to the heroes and proud patriots like Benjamin Hall. Dr. Nicole Sapphire joining us next on Fox Across America. Author of Panic Attack, which we couldn't get enough of on this show. We quote it chapter and verse every day. Uh, but she's got a new release out now that she wrote with her son Hudson. I'm talking about Dr. Nicole Sapphire. Hey, girl. Hey, thanks for having me. So, a ch- yeah, a children. If you're when you're writing a children's book, you shouldn't be anywhere near karaoke with the Fox crew. So, I actually, I'm I'm excusing your absence from the karaoke circuit. You know, I would make time for you. I, I kind of think you would, but my concern then is I don't want you showing up to karaoke night in children's author mode, singing the wheels on the bus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, I will say, though, my children's book is a little bit less wheels on the bus and mm. more like, uh, hey, maybe we should get back to the point where we're actually focusing on family and celebrating family. Well, I love the idea. So the book is called That's What Family's For. And, you know, it's based, I would I would say, not too loosely on an experience you had with your son Hudson uh, about discovering what's most important in life. Is that the best way to characterize this? Absolutely. So last summer, full disclosure, Hudson mm-hmm. was given some bad news from a doctor mm-hmm. um, that really kind of rocked our family's world. Ouch. And he decided to start writing a lot. And we decided to channel what was kind of a negative time in our family and turn it into something positive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we're looking around us right now, it's like a world of chaos. And it feels every day that society is trying to separate parents from their children. Mm-hmm. And so the whole moral of this book is to you know get rid of the chaos around you and let's get back to the house and focus on our family because especially when you're dealing with hard times that's when family is the most important thing yeah you know it's so funny that you say that because there is this story in the news right now where the kicker from the kansas city chiefs spoke at a commencement ceremony at georgia tech over the weekend and he said you know he's a two-time super bowl winner But he said the best advice he could give these college graduates was to get married and start a family because there was nothing more rewarding than, you know, living your life for that higher purpose. Don't you feel like on some level, like people really are missing the boat in that regard because we're not emphasizing family. And I think we grew up in a happier generation uh, where we did probably have a bigger emphasis on the home. Oh, undoubtedly. I mean, the entire family unit is being destroyed right now. Uh, you have, I mean, you have parents who are speaking up at school board meetings being called terrorists because they want to be involved in what their children are being educated on. I mean, it is crazy right now that you have politicians who don't think that parents should be involved. And if you can just go back to the time where you had your friends, you had school, you had your job, but at the end of the day, the anchor, the foundation was that family unit. That is a much better time. Now we're seeing the mental health crises, the loneliness epidemic, the rise in obesity and physical illnesses. That's because we've gotten away of our personal interactions, specifically that with our family. That's such a great point. We're talking to Dr. Nicole Sapphire, the new book. uh, It's called That's What Family's For. And it's about the beauty of relying on one's family when tough times arise. And I can tell you, like, that's the environment I come from. And I say this to people all the time. Like, as a single guy, Doc, um, you know, my decision-making didn't really affect anybody but me. So I was a mess. Like, any type of, you know, professional achievement that I've been able to recognize in the last, you know, five or six years has really 
been the end result of living my life for other people. You know, when it's just you, you're like, well, yeah, if I want to go to the bar at 2.30 in the morning, who cares, you know? But if somebody's got to make it to school at 7, you know, you can only go to the bar so many times. So I think that the, your family, more than anything else, is a compass, you know, it's a compass in life that everybody benefits so much from if, in fact, they're taught to utilize it. That's why, like you, I'm frustrated by the direction we're going in, especially at schools where they're trying to cut parents out of the process. Because wouldn't you say as someone who's raised kids that they evolve so much and they're so impressionable that this idea like we should be allowing them to make permanent life-altering decisions without their parents' input is almost like abuse, is it not? I think it's disgusting by removing the parents from the decision-making when it comes to our children. At the end of the day, we send our children to school to learn basic arithmetic and the fundamentals of education. We, they are not to go there to be learning these idealisms and you know, certain cultural things because that is, comes from the family. And I think that the educational system has completely overstepped the boundaries and have lost sight of what their actual role is, which is why you see parents pulling their children from these public schools and you're going to start seeing tax dollars going away from them as well because it is dwindling it's so crazy we're talking to dr nicole sapphire so let me ask you another question the book is called that's what family's for how is my man hudson doing is he doing better yeah so last summer was pretty devastating he had a little mass removed from his back it turned out to be a very rare nerve sheath tumor which um, comes along with a lot of badness in the future. Uh, mm -hmm. Thankfully, we're in a much better situation now than we were. He's plugged in with all the right specialists. And, you know, he has two doctors for parents, which I don't necessarily know if that's a good thing because <laughs> that probably made our worries worse. Aww. But Hudson's doing great. And, right. you know, mentally and physically, he's strong. And this book really meant a lot to both of us. Well, so no, it's, it's a beautiful book. And everyone should run out and buy it. Um, let me ask you this. On, on some level, do doctors, because comics, okay, I've talked to preachers about this when comics watch comics we'll we'll constantly like mu you know mutter and criticize them under our breath like oh you're really you're doing the airline material way to go <laughs> and i was told preachers do the same thing do doctors quietly judge doctors oh quietly i don't know <laughs> i don't know, <laughs> I know it i it's horrible i mean <laughs> It's awful having a doctor for a patient. Uh -huh. It's even worse having a doctor's child as your patient. So good luck. Pediatricians, they're not paid enough. <laughs> I can't even. I can't, I can't even imagine. But I, I listen, I love everything about the story in that you're trying to take something that is, you know, the highest level of adversity any of us can encounter, which is a difficulty facing our child, and channel it into a positive for the rest of the world. It really is commendable stuff that you did here doc and um anything that force multiplies the importance of family like when i look out at society right now you can see it plaguing us everywhere like there's just such a lack of strong parental presence in so many lives and you know no one ever talks about it but i just think it's such a it's like the most basic thing in the world why do you think really quick how did we wind up where we are i think is the question i'm trying to figure out if i could diagnose society why are we here uh, well, I think it's kind of evolved over time. For the last 50 years, you have women who have gone back to the workforce. They're not full-time in the house. Um, but 
people are checked out. I mean, mm-hmm. parents, you think kids spend a lot of time on their phones and social media? Parents spend even more time. So, so we have to really kind of redirect ourselves mentally and recommit to what is important. And I can tell you the last year of my life has certainly been about that. I've, I've My priorities have changed a lot. And I've spent a lot more time at home and a lot more time with my family. And it has meant the world to me. And I just kind of wish it didn't take a diagnosis to do that. And I say that to my patients every day. I'm like, gosh, I wish it didn't take me telling you you have cancer for you to want to live a healthier life. Well, I fell victim to the same thing. I wish it didn't take bad news for me to focus and spend a lot more time at home. But yet here we are, and I'm very happy. Yep, and you're doing something great with it. So everyone needs to go out and get a copy of it. The book is called That's What Family's For, and it's Dr. Nicole Sapphire and Hudson Sapphire. I got to get Hudson on the show. Would he come on the show, or is this too lowbrow for him? Uh, He'd come on. Anything for you. Oh, Hudson. All right, we're going to work this out. Sometimes, because, Doc, you know, we do playground politics on this show once in a while, (laughs) and I bring on my 14-year-old if we can sober him up. Uh, and it might be, it might be a good hang for Hudson one of these days, you know, if his, <laughs> if his literary agent will give us the time of day, uh, but awesome stuff. <laughs> Thanks for the work here, doc. We'll be in touch. Thanks for having me on. You're the coolest. There she goes. The legendary Dr. Nicole Sapphire. The book is called, that's what family's for. Some of you hear me say every day, man, on this show is the greatest thing that ever happened to me was having a kid. It's the greatest thing in the world because I you know, I always had like maybe ambition. Now I'm talking about on a on a selfish level, okay? It is a good career move to have a family if in fact you are a devoted family person, okay? Uh, it's actually great for your career. You sound you think it might be, no, what, what are you talking about? You got now you get this family, you got all these bills. But having a family forces you to make smarter decisions because everybody is impacted by the outcome of your choices. And having a child, it also makes you more efficient. When I was just like a single guy, if I needed to mail a bill, it could take me eight to 10 days just to get down to the, you know, Tuesday, I'll maybe I'll buy the stamp. I could see myself maybe Friday, Saturday getting down. You know, there might be a line Saturdays. A lot of people come in, I'll wait till Monday. Like you could procrastinate to the moon and back because there was no real urgency in your life. Okay, it would take you a week to mail something as a single guy. You have a kid, and in the two hours that he takes a nap, you could shingle the house. You do anything, okay, because you become like a ninja. Kids make you more efficient because your free time is no longer your own. You so rarely get it that even if you're a self-absorbed person, if you just fulfill your responsibilities as a parent and a caretaker, you will become more efficient. You will become better at what you do. And then when you just talk about, you know, the profound joy of actually having a family and raising it and, you know, all being in it together and being, you know, your own little us against the world type unit uh, that's just trying to serve as a force multiplier of positive energy everywhere you go. It's just the coolest thing to ever be a part of. Like, I, I to be honest, like I've done so many weird things in life. Nothing like I don't there's nothing in my existence that's agreed with me more Uh, Then running the family that I run, it was not a big family. It's just the three of us. um, But we eat like there's 12 of us. (laughs) We, you know, the weekend comes, we get on that patio. We we eat and drink like there's about 15 of us, you know. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Maybe so. But uh, we're having a hell of a damn good time. And it's funny because we talked about this yesterday. I was on the bottom line with Dagan McDowell and Sean Duffy. 
um, the kicker from the Kansas City Chiefs, spoke at Georgia Tech over the weekend, and that was his advice at the commencement speech. He said, get married and have a start a family. And uh, he'll probably never get invited to speak at a college again because they're like, what are you talking about? You got to take out an $800,000 student loan and spend the next 30 years wasting away in a cubicle. Come on, that's where you define happiness. Okay, careers are great. Uh, money's great. You know, success is great. Any type of relevance and affluence is wonderful. It's things we should all aspire to. But your true wealth in this world really is the spiritual currency that you accumulate. You know, how much fun and joy you know on a day-to-day -day basis. If you die tomorrow, you're not going to wish you just made a couple bucks more than the next guy. You're not going to wish you were just a little more famous than the other guy. Okay, none of that stuff matters. If you die tomorrow, you're just going to wish you had a little more fun. You know, and I say that every day. It doesn't matter what it says on your business card, what it says on your name tag. You know, you might be a dog groomer, you might be a cop, a fireman, a radio host, an OTR trucker, a cabbie. You know, for all I know, you could be a stripper listening right now. Hubba, hubba. Fine. But the point is you're in the fun business. That's what you do for a living. Okay? Your living is not your job. Your living is your existence. So just get out there and have some damn fun. That's all I would ever ask you to do because that's all you're supposed to be doing what can i tell you kid you're right when you're right you're right you're right remembering those we lost protecting our freedom on this memorial day you're listening to the best of fox across america with jimmy Fallon. anything that gets this society to reinvest in the importance of the family okay is so key and pivotal right now it's like the purpose of religion man Okay, I don't know if you're particularly religious one way or the other. I was raised, raised Catholic in my house. Um, but what I always found to be the true deliverable for religion in your life is that you are living with an end result in mind. You want to get to heaven someday. That was my goal. You know, I'm going to get to heaven. All right, well, maybe not me. But the point, Jenny will get in and we'll do some Zooms. Like, we'll have like a Zoom meeting and I could check in on the missus and hear what she's up to. Uh, but the point is... Okay, living your life with a greater good in mind. And that basic tenet is what's missing in our society on a political level. No one is living life with a greater good for the country in mind. I mean, to be clear, a lot of you are. I am. But when it comes to our elected officials, everybody's just in a perpetual fight for power. That's what politics have become in this country. You know when two kids are on a road trip and one kid wants to play with a toy, the other kid don't want to share it? No, I don't want to give it to me. Blah, 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 that whole thing. And then eventually they just rip the toy in half. That's what's going on in our country right now. We're fighting so hard for control of the country. We're just literally breaking the thing. The border's broken. The economy's broken. According to Gallup, our Fed chairman has the lowest recorded confidence level in the history of our country, meaning the guy in charge of the Fed, Jerome Powell, head of the Federal Reserve, okay, 36% of U.S. adults say they have either a great deal or a fair amount of confidence in this guy. You suck, you jackass. That's the guy in charge of the money. Do you understand the guy in 36% of people think the guy in charge of the money is going to do okay. Okay, that's not good, you guys. Okay, let me give you another one. Janet Yellen, 37% during her first year leading the Fed in 2014 was the previous low. What do they both have in common? 
They were, of course, running the economy under Democrats. Don't be thick, all right? Because this is their problem. They keep, okay, Ben Bernanke also had hit 39% in 2012, also under Obama. I don't see you doing any better in the booty department. But the reason being is because they are prioritizing everything except what matters. That's the problem, okay? Less regulation, less spending, less taxes. The point is you've got to get Washington out of the way. Government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. It's such a simple statement. But every time you get government involved in the markets, they do more harm than good. Every time you get government involved at a federal level, okay, oftentimes the reaction is worse than the problem. Look at COVID. COVID was something that should have been dealt with on a state-by-state basis, based on geography, based on population size. But instead, we worked at a federal level. And that federal level did massive damage, not just to education, but to the economy as a whole. And none of this needed to happen, you understand. But the problem we have right now, when you look out at the Fed, is they're no different than every other institution in Washington. In the next hour... Somebody who knows more about the American dream than just about anybody that'll ever listen to this program or be a guest on it. This gentleman, the star of a rap group who had a song go to number one the world over and has parlayed that success into a reinvestment in the arts in the community of Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's a fascinating story. I will tell it next on this Memorial Day Best Of here on Fox Across America. From everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon on this Memorial Day Best Of, where we salute the troops and the families who have sacrificed so much for our freedoms. What I did in putting together this Best Of episode is I tried to pull out some stories that I thought best exemplified the American spirit, whether they were people whose families migrated to this country people who gave so much of themselves in an effort to cover some of the conflicts this country had been engaged in, doctors that had treated our, our troops and our staffs and our citizens, and, of course, people that have just made good on the promise of life in this country, none more so than our next guest, who was one-third of the rap trio known as House of Pain. They sang the iconic song, Jump Around. You've heard it in every stadium. You've heard it in every bar. You've heard it in every party around the world. Danny Boy O'Connor on the front line of that success. He has since relocated uh, to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he listens to our show day in and day out on KRMG right down there in Tulsa. Hey, girl. And he has purchased the house from the film The Outsiders, and he has turned it into a museum for school kids who can come there and learn about the arts and movie making, and more importantly, the spectacular possibilities of life in this country because of your freedoms here in America. And there's nothing worth celebrating more than freedom on this Memorial Day. So a tip of the cap to all the troops who give it to us and a tip of the cap to Danny Boy O'Connor, who co-hosts the next hour of the show. 
But I'd like to think you're an honorary greaser by now. I am. I've been a greaser since day one, so it just wasn't a Tulsa greaser. (laughs) I'd like to think I'm both now. Well, I want to believe you're a Tulsa greaser now. Danny Boy O'Connor is in the house. Hey, girl. My man. There it is. (laughs) Uh, Better now. I better when I saw that Yankee hat walk in. There it is. So Danny Boy represents for the Bronx. Uh, You were born in New York. I was born in Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. moved to L.A. when I was six, and then went every uh, every summer until I was about 12. uh, Right around the time I saw the Outsiders, I was was like, okay. Is that true? This, this is true. Well, what's funny is the outsiders, there is some overlap between Oklahoma and the Yankees because, as we were saying off air, the Commerce Comet. That's right. Mickey Mantle. And then who replaced him in outfield? Do you know? Who replaced Mickey Mantle? That's right. Oh, I'm going to be mad if I get this wrong because I can name like every center fielder from the 70s, but I don't know who took over in 69. Who was Bobby it? Bobby Mercer. Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, Where's there you from? go. Yeah. Oklahoma right here. City. Well, that's uh-huh. funny. I remember that. Do you know Bobby Mercer was wearing number two before Derek, Derek Jeter? Derek Jeter, that's right. But Bobby Mercer, go. from what I was told, did not give women an autographed baseball after he slept with them. Ah. So, Mercer. You got <laughs> to get it together, Mercer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great, Bobby technology. Mercer. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to see you, man. And you too. And I think, you know, we, I thought for a second we might be putting uh, Okies to sleep, but there are a diehard contingent of Yankees fans here because of Mickey Mantle. And oh, is that true? So, yes, that makes find a lot of them. That makes me feel better because you might have heard me mention this before, but I'm walking around in this Western shirt. And most people uh, of the Okies that see me in this swag then hear my accent and assume I'm in the witness protection program. I've had three offers to kill somebody for pay since I got to the hotel last <laughs> night. Diddy, I've had more offers to kill somebody than I have beds in my hotel room, there if you is. heard earlier. I have heard, and it's I immediately thought of Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> I won't say it on air. No, another great movie we're going to have to get into. So what nice. people don't know about you, um, maybe some of my audience, uh, is that you, I guess, were you on tour at With, the time? Yeah. On tour, 2009, another group, uh, basically House of Pain with more people. It was called La Coconostra. Yep. We played the historic Canes Ballroom uh-huh. in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we had a three-day layover. And it was in that layover that I realized that this place, Tulsa, felt like home. And then the epiphany happened. Oh, my goodness. The Outsiders, the book and the movie was filmed here. Went looking for locations, found them, mind-blown, put it on social media. Everybody else's mind went blown. And for the next five years, I just kept somehow, you know, God would bring me back uh, just to Tulsa through Oklahoma, and I always make a beeline to see it. And around year five after finding it, I realized they were going to tear it down if someone didn't save it. Ended up stepping up, saving it, uh, and now it's a museum. Yo, your outsider story is kind of also the Goonies. You, you saved the house. Well, there's is there a pirate just, ship involved? There, there could be. It's, <laughs> it's becoming a thing now. So the yeah. Field of Dreams, I don't know if you know yes, that that's a, a, an attraction. And then you saw the Yankees game that they just played. I think they got Emmys off that. I mean, I actually, I yeah. ain't cried since Mickey died in Rocky, but I almost cried when they came Did, out the corn. And that I one saw got the Yankees. you? Yeah. When they came out of the corn? Yeah, because I had been there, and it's, it's, it's surreal heavy. to be there, yeah. It, the Goonies house is mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. and then the Christmas story was the first one. And that guy's actually put that whole property in Cleveland up, and I'm going to guess he's going to get north of $15 million for that. Let me ask you this. Yeah. With, between the bullying and the BB gun, could you make Christmas Story today? No, you could make a lot of these movies today. <laughs> it's, can, it's sad. There's it no really way. Is. No. It, you know in Christmas Story, the line is, you'll shoot your eye out, kid? Uh-huh. It's, you'll get canceled, kid. Yeah. You won't even be able. For sure. You well, couldn't even say Fragili without it being some kind of... <laughs> fragili! getting upset about it, is right? That, is that cultural appropriation? Uh, it could be. What's going on here? Uh, Danny Boy O'Connor. <laughs> Is in studio. We are down at the legendary studios of Freedom 96.9 down here in the OKC, the 405. Uh, we're talking about the Outsiders House and Museum, which you yourself bought. Uh, am I correct to tell the audience Essie Hinton was recently there watching the movie with you? Yeah, you know what's funny about that? It was surreal. Um, can I announce? I guess. We, I got, so the it's first, just you and me. The mics aren't on yet. So just uh, oh, okay. tell me anything so, you want. So, yeah, it's the first time since, it's the first time since uh, her... She, the Outsiders being published, that the publisher has come to somebody else and said, let's 
work on a book oh, get about out. the Outsiders. So it's the oral history of the Outsiders on Penguin. Whoa. And so I had the absolute privilege and honor to sit down with Susie uh-huh. Essien at the Outsiders house and watch the movie with her uh-huh. in hopes of spurring new memories or uh-huh. ones that she had maybe forgot uh-huh. that she hadn't told before so uh-huh. that we could get the best interview possible. But okay. to sit there for an hour and a half in the Outsiders house watching the Outsiders with the author is like a once-in-a-lifetime no, no, that's yeah. bananas, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's... I, I still... I, I, they, it, so many of them that I can't even think about them, otherwise I'd implode. Like, no, it's my hybrid. Yeah, that's a lot for me, too. Are yeah. you working on a project with her? Is it her own project? What is it? No, it's it's the book. It's the, it's okay. the oral history of, of The Outsider. So we interview anybody from, like, a diehard 10-year-old fan from uh-huh. Massapequa. That's so, you've got an to, out, uh... so you've got an Outsider's book with S.E. Hinton cooperation. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're moving on now. That's a That's big deal. A, let my hair Dude, down and uh, give you yourself know, credit cut for that. Rug. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. There's been a lot of big deals, but they're really at the end of the day. Uh, you know, I, I, I attribute all of my success to the to the love of Tulsa because mm-hmm. I got there. I needed a lot of help, and I was humble enough to ask for it, which is not my normal yeah. modus uh-huh. operandi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I humbled myself. I said, I don't know what I'm doing here, and I need help. And would you believe? Uh-huh. Okies came through, and I don't know. Damn Listen, right I'm a did. diehard New Yorker who grew up in L.A., and I don't know that I would have that success in L.A. No, or New York. the the best people live in these parts of the country. I always joke about when you grow up on the coasts, you know, everybody growing up in New York assumes, even if you're in L.A., that everybody wants to live there, for one. You're like, well, everybody wishes they were here. They actually think we're crazy. Right. But then comes the, <laughs> then comes the connotation that, you know, people on the coast derisively refer to the middle of the country as flyover states, but they have the better quality of life. Yeah, without you know, a doubt. You're never going to walk out the door in Tulsa and see some barefoot time traveler with his pants off, you know? I mean, you'll see it if you know where to look. Believe right, right, me, right. I can find yeah, it. I'm no an ex-cab driver. I get it. But there's a quality of life thing here, and it's so funny because all my friends in New York, especially guys that are in the arts that are trying to make it, yeah. you know, you got a comic with nine other roommates in a studio apartment being like, oh, these dummies with their affordable mansions mm-hmm. in the Midwest. I'm like, there's nothing dumb about that no and i say that every day if you guys are living in what is called the flyover states you're killing it no it is and and it's you know it goes even deeper than that and Mm -hmm. when i was a kid and this is real talk there was a time my grandmother would have sent me next door to grab a stick of butter and come and trade for a thing of sugar and there was communal you Mm -hmm. know people if i got in trouble god forbid and somebody's parent grabbed me by the ear and put me home i was in trouble twice now yeah yeah because then i I couldn't say hey he pulled my ear or or, (laughs) i'd get another smack and and so that's the but that doesn't exist there is a there is that the Midwest is still legitimately like yeah. a community. Dude, I, I talk about this in my stand-up act. I say, like, when I was growing up, not only could you beat your kids, you could beat other people. Of kids. course. And, if you, <laughs> and, and and get rewarded for doing so. Yes. Like, thank you for doing what I didn't have to do myself. Now get in there and do your homework. <laughs> and the behavior was better. Of course. All right, let me throw yeah. this at you. Danny Boy O'Connor is in studio. Honorary greaser. He's hanging out with S.E. Hinton. By the way, how did... um. Because she has a cameo in The Outsiders. She's a nurse. She has a cameo in a few of her movies, it, yes. but she's a nurse it, but, in there. But specifically in The Outsiders, how is, because like when I watch myself, right, right, it's a horrible thing to do, but the only way to get better is to be a really brutal, like, self-editor. Right. So you can show me anything. Like, oh, Jimmy, I like that thing you did. And I'm like, oh, well, look at my face. I look like a talking ham. You know, my, you know, does she handle her acting well, or does she get you, artistic on you and start besieging herself? You, you know what? Herself? I never really ask about it. I just okay. think it's great that she's, she's if you know, you know. Yeah, she's yeah. an Easter egg in all of her movies. Yep. And uh, she's a legend. I mean, listen, yeah, she wrote outrageous. that book at 15 and a half. Mm-hmm. She failed English and got a D plus in creative writing. It uh-huh. starts a new category. The category is the young adult 
categories. The mm -hmm. first time in recorded history that a young adult wrote a book about being a young adult for young adults, uh -huh. and that is not insignificant. That yeah. is akin to the guy who made the rock category or the rap category. Yeah. It's the number one category in book sales of all time. When I got to Tulsa, I expected to see some statue greeting you, and it didn't exist. Uh -huh. And I think people cherished her, but they didn't know how to celebrate her. Yeah. And she also doesn't, you know, she's also mm -hmm. very particular in how you yeah. like, anybody goes about doing that and mm -hmm. i feel like I, I i found a way to do both so I, i'm able to reach kids because mm -hmm. we do over we did over four thousand school kids yeah. to the house last year during even with covid restrictions uh-huh or so you know partial covid restrictions and we're, we're looking to do about ten thousand this year that is outrageous. so from monday to thursday we, we're close to the public and we do school tours and then we do friday saturday and sunday open to the public i tell you that to tell you that she says teachers are her heroes uh -huh. and teachers are always asking her to zoom or show up at the school and she just can't and, and yeah. she's done it enough it's so what we provide now is educational and, uh, you know, entertainment value. And at the same time, we're reaching students because there are a lot of kids like myself who didn't test well or did horrible yeah. in school, <laughs> but then made an okay living and an honest uh -huh. living doing what we do. Yeah, and, no, uh, no so, question. Yeah, I'm trying to foster that. And now that the house is doing so good, there's uh -huh. like phase two, and the phase two will be a bigger SC Hint Museum. That I'm, you know, maybe not called that, uh -huh. but uh, based on all of her works, but a place that kids can learn how to script write or movie make or, and that what? would have been disingenuous to, you, at, to, to get yeah. kids to do now, but with Reservation Dogs and John Schwab just made seven movies in a row yeah. here and Killing in the Flower Moon with yep. DiCaprio and Scorsese and all kinds of other, Tulsa King with yep. Stallone. I, the Midwest is on fire in the best possible way. It is, it, creatively. Danny Boy O'Connor is in the house. We're having a grown-up talk here. <laughs> uh, one thing I would say about that, and specifically pushing kids towards the creative process, as you know this, um, when I was a cab driver, the reason I'm alive right now, okay, is because me and my buddy Dean Imperial used to write screenplays. And, you know, they took about a movie, Tanks, if it goes, you know, straight to video. Ours went, you know, straight to waste paper basket. Like, we were just, our goal was, like, if we could just get it thrown out by somebody influential. We know it's not getting made, but someday we're going to make a level of dumpster that'll blow your mind. There you go. But the gravity of the creative process makes you not feel sometimes the perils or the adversities of day-to-day of -day life. Like, I used to drive a cab 15 hours a day. Mm. But because I was writing stand-up in the morning and stand-up at night, and my brain continued to stay on the case while I was driving around all day, it made you not feel it when you were getting cut off or oh, shot yeah. at. I had a woman on the, um, the Manhattan Bridge with two sock puppets on her hands yelling at me on the way to Cadman Plaza <laughs> in Brooklyn. I had a, a guy named Hal and his wife, Arufa, were yelling at me, sock puppets. Oh, yeah. And uh, at one point, I, would, I considered it to be the low point of my adult life. Like, they finally got to me, and I yelled at one of the puppets. <laughs> and it's like, in that moment, Dan, you look in the mirror, and you're like, that just happened, big man. You yelled at a stranger's hand. Wow. Like, you got to make peace with that. No doubt. But I was able to make peace with that because I had a good idea for the script we were working on. And that's where that creative process for everybody listening is so good for kids because it gives them the gravity. It almost becomes its own little, like, compass in life. Instead of being rudderless, playing games all day or just bottoming it out in the streets, you now have a pursuit. And bigger than the pursuit is the ambition. Absolutely. And that's the big thing. That's what I want to ask you about more now, too, while I have you here. Did you guys consider when you were a founding member? Member of House of Pain, did you guys kind of consider yourself the greasers of rap and that you were hooligans to, uh, to an extent? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We, we, I tried to, you know, I started the group with a concept and a logo, and 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 I'm good at seeing what's missing on a playing field and uh -huh. then adding it too. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. What I saw as a Beastie Boy fan, yeah, I was. They were missing in the tough guy stuff that we uh -huh. were actually doing. Yeah, and then us in Cypress Hill were doing that. Yes. prior to records, and so <laughs> why not make records about doing what we do? So there was, and then we pulled a lot of you know millions of other you know Irish kids out of the, uh -huh. the you know. Wouldn't wouldn't you argue as I have then that when you look at that era of rap that you guys in Cypress Hill 
are kind of paving the way for what become what what Biggie is, somebody who commercialized the lifestyle, a living he was making. I mean, it, it, it just another brick and a long paved road, Fair. you know, okay. heading that way. I don't, I won't say that, but there. If I, good... I will say something. Uh-huh. Yeah, I will say this. There was, in, 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 as a diehard fan, I also worked at a record store prior to that and a movie okay. theater. I worked where I, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. hide out, eat free popcorn, and, and then steal the product. <laughs> you and, love cable news. No, I no, do. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Um, Hip-hop was like floundering. I mean, it was kind of over. The 80s thing had fizzled. Here comes grunge. Mm -hmm. And then, miraculously, here comes House of Pain and Cypress Hill, or Cypress Hill and House of Pain. And boom, it re-sparked everybody's imagination, and then it it breathes life into hip-hop in that moment, and then followed by Mob Deep and Wu-Tang and, you know, and and so on. But that's true, because after that, it was like De La Soul, and then it was kind of... Yeah. It fizzled. Hip hop kind of fizzled. It wasn't getting. <laughs> it was. It was me, myself, and Nirvana. There it is. <laughs> it's and like, it's true. No and Nirvana kind of just took the air out of the room, and yep. everybody else had to do without. But then, yeah. So how about that? You saved the Outsiders' house. You might have saved hip hop. I know you're I too know humble to take credit but, uh, for either no. of those. <laughs> but don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. You got more time in you, right? I do. Watch Danny Boy O'Connor. He's under house arrest now. We're I back. Am. Back after this on the Big Bad One and Only Fox Across America. Saluting those who gave their all on this Memorial Day. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Danny Boy O'Connor is in studio. A lot of you people listen to Jimmy Fallon, but you can't hear Jimmy. Danny Boy O'Connor can hear Jimmy. He gets the ethos of the show. It's something I say every what I say. I say, be a Republican, be a Democrat, don't be a... And you come into this radio game in terms of your relationship with my show as that. Yeah, you come no, in... Come as a fan. I literally... Well, that, I appreciate I listen to the radio... Overnight, it helps me sleep. It's like my white noise. And by osmosis, I get all kinds of news in the morning, traffic. I don't even, you know. <laughs> His weird dreams about traffic jams. And I had a weird dream about you. And it woke me out of my sleep. And I sat up and I was like, who is this guy? This guy oh, is man. great. Mm-hmm. And then I waited for the the, the bumper and you, dro- you dropped your name. And I literally went on Facebook and wrote you a message, probably half asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and in the morning when I woke, I went back to sleep and woke back up, you wrote me back. And you I damn searched right I you. As I started to listen to you, I go, this is my guy. Mm-hmm. This makes complete sense. I've never spoken publicly about political anything. Yeah. I'm in the center. I lean right. Uh-huh. I have liberal sensibilities. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand the, how why it's so polarized yes. and why we can't see the same sunset, which is an S.C. Hinton quote. There you and go. You see the same sunset that I do, and we don't always. I don't agree with anybody. We're not supposed to, the, you know. Exactly, yeah. but the dialogue is what's missing, uh-huh. and somebody who calls balls and strikes. We're both baseball guys. Yeah, I understand. Everybody has a different strike zone. Uh-huh. Show us both where it is, and then we can aim towards that center and find that common. Well, that's talent. yeah, and that's, that's what you do, and that's why it's a breath of fresh air, and that's why I drove an hour and a half. He did because, and with, I'm not saying that like I wouldn't. No, but oh. it's I, I would drive another hour and a half if, oh, if it meant it. With these gas prices, I'm a fan, that means yeah, a lot, right? And, a lot. I, and I'm a, and I'm a fan, and, and oh, what buddy. you're doing is not only. Um, uh, it's very necessary, especially in these times. So you are that guy that the outlier who comes and shows up, mm-hmm. and you're like, "There's our guy." Oh man, because I listen a lot, and there's a lot yeah. of good. Talk radio. Talk radio out mm-hmm. there. But you're the one that I could play for anybody, and they go, this guy makes sense. And that's what oh, we're man. looking for is some real common sense uh-huh. discussions on the, the turbulent, well, that, crazy world we live in right y- now. Yeah, I mean, all, all I'm really trying to do, man, is because, like, I grew up in a different version of the country. Like, I grew up in a version of the country where you, you could disagree because the whole point of America is free-range chicken. I'm saying. You know, just go off, do what you I want. Mean, e pluribus unum is, that means out of many one. It means do whatever the hell you want. But if the game's on the line... 
we're supposed to be the team nobody wants to play. Yeah, right. You believe that, I believe, whatever. But yeah. if we got to put on the uniforms and get on the yellow school bus and go to a football team and run up the score on somebody, right, that's together. who we are. Yeah, no doubt. And that's the only thing I'm really trying to accomplish is, like, I think if you can approach this from, you know, people always say America needs to have a conversation, but what they really mean is you people need to start seeing it our way. Right. You know, because America's got to be a conversation. I'm like, okay, maybe secure the border, and they're like, well, your wife's a hoe. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Maybe she is, but I'm not plugging her OnlyFans right now. I just wanted to have the conversation. Uh, but that's the problem. You can't have the conversation. You, you can, Danny boy. Stick around. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to dive into more of your illustrious creative career. Let's do it. Uh, we're talking rap. We're talking about the outside. Like, things are going to happen, and we're going to have to talk a little Somebody's more Yankees. Getting it's, <laughs> Somebody's getting stabbed. We're taking it back to New York in the 90s. So you all better hide your kids, hide your wife, and hide your husband, that whole thing. Back after this with my main man, Danny O'Connor, right here on the Big Bad, one and only Fox Across America. We're coming to you live from the 405 Fox Across America, broadcasting today from the legendary studios of Freedom 96.9. Jimmy Fallon stacking the deck. Okay, they didn't know, you know, late flight last night, maybe I was going to be a little banged up. Champ wasn't going to have nine innings in him. <laughs> so they brought in some serious horsepower out of the bullpen. Maybe just, maybe the Mariano Rivera of radio guests. How about that for a Yankee oh, fan? Danny Boy O'Connor, he is in the house. I know, I miss Mariano. I do too, man. Wasn't it great just what, having the short thing? Human, though. He's yeah. like, oh, Mariano Rivera's like the best guy ever. He's like building churches. Oh, my God, the greatest. Yeah, pointing everybody in the right direction. There's a, there's a greater good thing. That's... I, talk, I say this about religion a lot. I don't care what anyone's particular religion is, okay? But if you're living life with the goal of getting accepted into some type of afterlife reward, it gives you a compass to be a better person. Absolutely. I think that's the biggest value of religion is it gives everybody a day-to-day -day contribution to make, which is, again, the ethos of the show, don't be a... Yeah, bottom line, Straight up. you know, because if you get to whatever your pearly gates happen to be mm -hmm. and you're talking to the bouncer... You know, <laughs> you, and wanna know. you want them to find your name on the clipboard and, you know, see if you're getting in. You know, it would help if you weren't a bottom line. Sure. So look at that. Now we're saving the world. Now we're starting our own religion. It's been a very productive day. It was funny. Coming in, your bumper music was a, a view to a kill, Duran uh -huh. Duran. Yeah. I used to work at a, a membership warehouse store akin to the, uh, like, Costco's uh -huh. of the world. Oh, get out. And I had the ability to take the remote to the TVs. Uh -huh. There was, like, a thousand TVs. <laughs> and that movie had just come out, and I was such a big fan of that song that I played it so many times back and forth that they fired me. <laughs> it was like, dude, you're done. And they... You, they moved me out of the, that department, and then slowly they fired me for that song. Wow. I love that song. So <laughs> I hear it, I got to get a kick that's, out of it. That's the James Bond movie, uh, You Only Work Once. Okay. <laughs> Not Live Once. You Only Work Once. You work once, you do that trick with the TVs, yeah, get them right. out of here, Danny Boy O'Connor. I kick a hole in the wall when I'm on my way out anyway. That's funny. Well, you know, we were talking about, okay, you, of course, are the owner and operator of the Outsiders Museum. Yes. You were telling me during the break, when you got this product, uh, this product, when you got this project off the ground, you know, you made a personal investment, but then you got help from other investors like S.E. Hinton, and it sounds like, uh, you know, the city of Tulsa came through in a big way. Yeah. But I did not know, is uh, is Billy Idol a fan of The Outsiders? I mean, I don't know that he's a fan of The Outsiders. I know him, and when he came to town, he was okay. playing at the Hard Rock. Oh, kick and it. And said, yeah. he wants to see you in the dressing room. And he goes, you live in Tulsa now, man? Uh -huh. I'm like, yeah. He goes... And you bought a house? I'm like, no, 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 I still live at the Mayo Hotel. He goes, no, you bought a house. I go, house? He goes, the Outsiders house. I said, you know the Outsiders house? Yeah. He goes, yeah, didn't didn't uh, Jack White just donate $30,000 to it? Uh -huh. I said, he did, and you know that? He goes, yeah. He goes, I'd like to donate, too. I go, you would? He goes, yeah, not $30,000, mate, but <laughs> I would. And a week later, he gave me a check. I won't tell you how much that Get out. Stop it. Who cares? I, I mean, whoa, 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 whoa. We'll do it again. Hold on a second. Here it is. You got it? Oh, there oh girl. 
girl. Listen, Danny boy. growing up as a kid, if, if I could have been half Billy Idol, half uh, half Dallas Winston, that would have been the that would have been the <laughs> archetype I was shooting for. I don't know that gets me into heaven, but I, uh, it, it, it gets me other things. I so. was gonna, I was I was going to ask you that. I was trying to figure out because you know you watch a movie and you become a guy. Yeah. To show you just what little ambition I had as a child. I used to watch Rocky and wish I could be Paulie. <laughs> like I could just badmouth my sister and spend this guy's money; it'd be fine. But you wanted you a little bit of Dallas Winston Dallas for you. Dallas Winston, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, and, and he has a line in there. He's like, "Jesus, I thought the only place I was going to end up in a murder beef was in New York City." And I was like, "That's my guy." Like, that's like you know. So yeah, Matt. Matt yeah, Matt Dillon's uh -huh. portrayal of that. And if in case anybody's listening, don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, there's a book called The Outsiders, it was published in 1967. Mm -hmm. The author was S.C. Hinton, is mm -hmm. S.C. Hinton. She wrote it at 15 and a half, failing English, D-plus in creative writing, goes on to sell millions of copies. Uh, Coppola finds out about it via uh, some mail that he got from a librarian who noticed the tipping point with the book. Oh, is that true? That's crazy. Students. Yeah, and I could spend hours telling you, but this is the elevator pitch. He decides she's right, and he against the wishes of Warner Brothers, leaves the back lot and comes all the way to Tulsa, Oklahoma to keep it authentic. The cast is incredible ensemble. It's the Brat Pack. Uh, yeah. Fred Roos, his, uh -huh. his producer who uh -huh. picks that cast. And they make a movie, and then it turns out to be not so great at the box office, but we discovered on VHS tape and on mm -hmm. HBO, if you could afford it. Oh, yeah. And it becomes this time-honored classic. And what I thought I was building was a greaser museum for me and you, but what mm -hmm. ended up happening was I built a greaser museum for 7th and 8th grade kids who are reading it, and it's the librarians and, and English teachers' uh, mm -hmm. preferred book of choice to get all kids to, to yeah. read. And if the story's about the haves and the have-nots, the story's mm -hmm. as old as time, but the gist of it is to find the centers, what we do. And like yeah. we said in the book, it says, although we came from, our lives were completely different. He's talking about Sherry Valance, the Soch, yeah. Pony Boy, the Greaser. Uh, we saw the same sunset. And that's beauty. And that's the that's the mantra that I go with. And we yeah. could be completely polar opposites in politics and sports mm -hmm. or whatever. But we look up. We see the sun. We see the sunset. That's God's hand. We agree it's beautiful. We It's a step closer without even... Yeah. Trying. Imagine. And so imagine if we keep looking for those yeah. points mm -hmm. and to yeah, and this is like again, this is why it goes back to you and what I what I love about hearing you on the radio, because I don't feel by listening to you that you're like charging me up to go fight somebody. No, no, I don't no care. Possible. Yeah, yeah, no, it's no. the opposite. It's just, it, just, half, just half the country like wants to fight us. I'm the kind of guy, I'm only fighting a civil war if somebody makes an app. There it is. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> is there going to be catering? It's a, you know, civil war. Sounds right. like really long bathroom lines. Uh, like, I, no, I don't have that in me. Sure. Danny Boy O'Connor is in the studio. But good stuff, man. And so I, turn, I, I end up buying the house. I was on tour, passed through, found some locations in LA and New York. These things get torn down. Yeah, yeah, all know, the time. Right and center. This still looked like when the movie was yeah. filmed. Uh -huh. I realized that the house was in danger of being torn down. Eventually, I stepped up, but I had very little money, uh -huh. no idea on how to do any of this stuff, and, and, and time was of the essence. And I tell this is what I tell kids as well. Uh -huh. You know, a good education, a well-laid plan, and, a, and, a, and some source of funding would be great. Yeah. But sometimes you're not going to have that. And if you're passionate about something and, and, and you've got you a couple bucks in your pocket, and uh -huh. you, don't, you, you can figure it out step by step. And the greatest thing in the world is being six foot six alpha male. Mm -hmm. For years, I was afraid to ask for help because where I come from, yeah. even if it's self-taught, mm -hmm. you're weak and stupid if you had to ask for help. And yep. I almost died many times not being humble and, and capable of asking yeah. for help. And when I got here, I was tired of it. Mm -hmm. And I just said, listen, I, I bought this house in good faith. I don't know what I'm doing. I hope there's other fans out there like me. Uh -huh. And if so, 
Would you help? And if yeah. you help, I will turn this into a museum. Because uh -huh. I might have lived there if it was up to... You know, <laughs> you know, and this is exactly what happened. I, yeah. I asked for help, and the help showed up. And so It's a great American story. And, 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 yes, and, and if anything, I just want people, kids, adults, mm -hmm. sometimes adults. It's amazing what you can do. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. with a little teamwork and a little bit of humility, and, yeah. and 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 I wish everything in life worked the way that this did, and it's the greatest thing that I've ever been involved in. And I like to think I've been involved in a few cool things here, <laughs> there, but this one, there's nothing like it, and it keeps paying dividends, and the dividends yeah. come in the in the in the forms of smiles and oh my god, uh, when I hear a little girl, like, oh, yeah. oh my god, uh, and, uh -huh. and they just are devouring the house. And this is a this movie's going to be forty yeah, yeah. in in March, and the uh -huh. book is fifty five years old, and it still hits just like it did. Uh huh. Day one. Uh, oh, he what an incredible. No, it's OG. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Back, back up at Fox News. So we met, um, you know, we met down in Tulsa. We're the Cape Brewing Company doing right. a meet and greet. And, yep. you know, the Tulsa people, Okies in general, they're too hospitable for a guy like me. I love them so much. <laughs> but you know, as a New Yorker, when people are so nice, you're like, oh, well, this person's robbing me. Right. Like something's going on. They're so nice. They were the sweetest people. But after we met, I had messaged Kennedy and Emily Campagna, who co-hosts Outnumbered, who yep. are both like, Epic fans. I mean, and Kennedy, who you probably yeah, came yeah, across yeah. at your MTV uh, at, during our MTV days, but um, Emily Campagno is like, you know, soda pop Campagno. Oh, like, there it is. Is a hardcore out. Like, she, her Outsiders trivia game would be right there with yours. Bring her out. That's the ringer. You know what yeah. I'm saying? No, like, my, mine, like, I can talk with you all day, sure. but at my core, I'm like, hey, does Diane Lane ever come by the museum? Right, right, <laughs> I'm, still, right. I'm still just a dirtbag. I'm kidding. <laughs> but we're talking about it. <laughs> and I love it, but I think again there is a lesson in there's a lesson here. Okay, it's a twofold lesson. The Essie Hinton lesson that you just gave us, which is what? Okay, her trajectory in life was not someone that was going to sell more books than anyone known to man. Right. But that doesn't mean she couldn't sell more books than anyone known to man. That's the joke of America that everybody's not getting right now. Right. Is, and I say it every day. Like, the reason I incessantly pounded into their heads that I was driving a taxi a few years ago is because you can do that here. You know what I'm saying? You've, Absolutely. You've got to be as good at low-level extortion as I am to get the executives on your So You know what I mean? And that's sure. fine. Yeah, yeah. Mid-level hostage situation, you know? And But I'm kidding. But the point is, you know, you can do that here. And something we talked about off the off the air, it's like my favorite American story, I tell it a lot, is like for me, my adult moment, you said it was when you started, you know, you had the humility to ask for help as an adult. Yeah. Okay. Mine was, I was on the road doing stand-up, and I went to the Motown Museum. I went to Hitsville, USA. And I and I, I learned the story of Barry Gordy, who, you know, for all intents and purposes, he had owned a record store. But his record store on the south side of Detroit was he wanted to be that guy who was like artsy. So he's like, they're all coming in here from Muddy Waters. I'm not going to have Muddy Waters. I'm going to have, like, the deep cuts. Right. So he goes out of business in, like, three weeks. Because <laughs> it turns out they liked Muddy Waters. Give them the Muddy Waters. You know what I mean? But anyway, he goes to work on an assembly line in Dearborn, Michigan, and starts, you know, you know when they take away a cop's badge? But he stays on the case. He's still trying to solve the crime. It's like the French Connection or something like that. So, uh, Dirty Harry. So he starts writing music to the beat of the assembly line and, and, and lands a number one hit signal for Jackie Wilson. The royalties aren't the best. But he's like, hey, what if, what if these are my songs? What if I produce this music? And goes from a guy on the assembly line to Hitsville, USA. Mm -hmm. You can do that here. And the point is, you could do that here in 1958. Right. This is like pre-civil rights. Yeah. That Barry Gordy had these ideas and could pull it off. So I come back to that. Because don't you feel like on, on, on some level, as, as an adult who's lived in a better America and who has made it through all kinds of confounding circumstances and adversities to find yourself where you are today, that we're kind of selling kids the wrong message and that we're pushing victimhood 
more than victorhood. 100%. And you feel like we're there, too? 100%. And I think, to, to touch on that, more so on the coastal cities. Yeah. You know, when I came to Oklahoma, I, I was it was a breath of fresh air. It felt like it felt when I was growing up as a kid where you could ask your neighbor for, you know, some sugar or some salt. And uh -huh. if your car broke down in the middle of the street, people wouldn't honk at you and give you the bird. They would actually get out and push you and give you a can of gas. Yeah. That is lost. And I understand uh -huh. the the... the 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 amount of pressure uh -huh. on on the coastal cities to to succeed or to stay in the game mm -hmm. is so yeah, yeah. how dare you broke down in front of me <laughs> right but you don't that's not here uh -huh. and if it, the 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 there's nothing more authentic than the Midwest to me yep. as when it comes to the American dream. If you're willing to work hard, you got a good idea, you're willing to roll up your sleeves, people will help you. Yep. And that that is live and well here. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to tell too many people because, you know, Okies get a little, uh, you know, I don't <laughs> want to invite the wrong, you know, ants to the picnic, you know what I'm saying? But, I, I, I you know, more Californians out here. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. the truth be told, you're going to find a lot of people discovering it because they're sick and tired of, of, of what they're getting in, in, yeah. in New York and L.A. And these are diehard people. The people that I know that are New York and New Yorkers mm -hmm. never leave hell's kitchen are not yeah. good you still love in oklahoma i'm like i am they're like it's time for a change and i've already had you know yep four or five people come here mm -hmm. and find what i find and they don't have the same purpose they're not doing a museum they're not no. being married to it like that but they understand that they can't do what they're doing there anymore because mm -hmm. the, the the world that they grew up doesn't exist anymore yep. and and they can find at least some semblance of that or a chance at a the second act in that and so america i've been all over the, the country you know mm -hmm. uh, and all over the the, the world yeah and there's no place like home. Yeah, there's I, no place like the U.S. The opportunity here is is abundant. Yeah, again, and that's you, the point. Everyone yeah. who lives here hit the lottery, and we're we're ripping up the ticket right now. I and mean, you know what? You if you you want to do good in life, get your credit score up. That's yeah, my yeah. first like you know, <laughs> learn how to handle money. They should be teaching. They should be teaching. Fiscal responsibility. A hundred percent. And there should be, they should rebring back home economics. Imagine that. And shop classes. Uh -huh. no, because really what you can do with your hands yeah. and your mind is, a, is an amazing feat. Yeah. And, 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 those are, and those are also like home economics. They're also like life hacks. Number one, you can save yourself a lot of money if you learn to cook. Number two, I tell my listeners this every day. You know, we're all in the happiness business. Yeah. You die tomorrow, you're going to wish you had more fun. That's, that's it. That's yeah. the business you're in, no matter what your job occupation happens to be. And one of the easiest life hacks to improving fun are those quality of life skills you would learn in home ec. But when it comes to spending, I think we need to teach that class in Congress first. Like the third graders can wait. If you could teach the government, I mean, the government is like, the, you know, when you're young uh, and you go to a bar and you got that one friend who wants to send a round of drinks to those girls over there, but he doesn't have his wallet on him. That's the government. <laughs> video. Yo, we got to buy those girls some drinks. You're like, all right, sounds good. Uh, I'll you. You're like, no, dude, pay up. Or the government will steal your stuff and help you look for it. Yeah, that's a, that kind of friend as well. All right, we're going to be all over the map in the, in the final segue of the uh, final uh, segment of the hour. We're going to jump around, if you will. Forgive me. Uh, more with Danny Boy O'Connor after this. Remembering those we lost, protecting our freedom on this Memorial Day. You're listening to the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. We're not talking comedy right now. We're talking you and me. We're talking America. America. We are. Remember America. Greatest place on earth. Isn't it, though? It's the it one is. thing everybody forgets, man. We are the greatest source of good the world has ever known. And everything we fight over about our past is actually happening in the present around the world. 
and it's crazy. Like we fight the wrong battles. I think is the biggest is the biggest thing, and that's where also I think movies and certainly iconic movies that give you that escapism are so valuable. So I'm going to give you my list really quick. I haven't bought any iconic film houses, but when I'm on the road, I do this. This is why I was so drawn to your story when I first heard it. I was like, this is amazing. Uh, in L.A., I went to the Seven Seas Apartments, which is where Daniel Larusso lives in Karate Kid, course, and it's just, California, and it's there. I grew up a, a quarter mile away from it on Sherman Way. Well, you know what's funny? The pool's dirty in real life. It is. The <laughs> it's not just in the back. Yeah, it's not. The longest the fence was still there. It's not just being the movie. Okay. Then I was in uh, Preston, Idaho, one of our affiliates, KID. I actually went to the Napoleon Dynamite House, which is amazing because I love the movie. But here's a deep cut. But it's it's of the HBO vintage late 80s. No one watched this movie. But I used to watch an HBO movie that played endlessly called Three O'Clock High where there was a guy named Buddy Ravel. He had been kicked out of a lot of high schools. He shows up to the school, and he winds up getting in a fight with the kid who runs the school store. And they, they're going to fight at the flagpole at 3 o'clock is where it came from. And the house, they, the house, excuse me, the high school they filmed it at uh, is in Ogden, Utah. So I saw that too. So I was on this beat. I just didn't know Billy Idol and Jack White, so I didn't open a yeah. museum. But you made moves. Well, and what you don't know is when I first found that house, I put a photo on the Internet. It was early uh, Facebook. We were still uh -huh. kind of in uh -huh. MySpace land. And I also put a, a picture of the hole that Sid Vicious allegedly punched in the green room wall at Kane's Ballroom. <laughs> and I'm good friends with Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols. So oh, yeah. Tagged him. I put it. People uh -huh. were like, oh, my God, where are you at? And people were so excited about seeing the Outsiders house that was still on Earth and that it was, uh -huh. you know. I started uh, doing a lot of urban exploring. This is 2009. It was the first time that you could ever have internet on a tour bus, a uh -huh. laptop in your lap, smartphones. And I started to go all over the U.S. and use that tour bus as a time machine to yeah. see all the things that I want to see. And I uh -huh. did see all the things. And it's called the Delta Bravo Urban Exploration Team. And if you look on Facebook, it's all the things you just talked about. We have uh -huh. people from all over the world, including oh. the original photographers or some of the directors or the actors. And we go looking like we take it like a case. Yeah, you go and we break it down. And then we go Goonie style and go into the environment and look for it. And we did Detroit. Okay, so yeah. I went with a New York cop, uh -huh. uh, a photographer from New York. I drove from L.A. and I picked a guy up in Tulsa. And we met in Detroit. And we went all over the place. And on oh, the way home, bad. I went to Larry Bird's house in French Lick. Get out. Gran grandmother's where the original hoop was. Mm -hmm. I went to Pete Rose's house in, Sanson in Cincinnati. Get out of there. I eat all the greasy spoons across, you know, America. Now, and I, I love America uh, in that way that I've intimately been uh -huh. through city after city looking for pop culture locations. Uh -huh. and that was the reason why I started to get so serious That's about a... The Outsider's House, because I was like, I'm so enamored with this whole yeah, yeah. thing, is that maybe there is a chance for this to be... A, yeah, and you bring it to life. Action. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That so is rad. Started, I, I can't imagine seeing, you know, because Pete Rose's house, you oh know, that's God. where, like, he played wiffle ball. That was my... I was a yeah. Yankee guy growing yeah, up, but, but I was Pete always Rose. a Pete Rose guy... He was my and number then, one, Reggie Jackson uh -huh. and Pete Rose. Oh, I Munson, get it. Reggie and Pete. I mean, well, the night, but the nice thing is, like the Pete Rose Wiffle Ball Stadium, you can bet the games, which is nice. You couldn't do that where we grew up. Hi, <laughs> kid, Danny Boy O'Connor. That is going to do it for this Memorial Day edition of Fox Across America. We are back here live tomorrow with an absolute embarrassment of Radio Riches. Until then, we salute all the troops, all the family members who gave so much for our freedoms. Uh, this bud is for you. Maybe not a bud these days, but the point is this beer is absolutely for you. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.